Good singing. Good morning, officially. It's, uh, we have been going through, over the last month and a half, the quest of knowing God and uh, considering the existence of God um, and moving now into um, more who He is. And um, as we talk about attributes of God, the reality is that there are there are, when we consider the term char- attributes of God, a lot of times we think of his, his character traits, um, what he is like. But the reality is that there are also attributes which are natural attributes, which are a part of who he is. Does that make sense? God is holy, God is love, God is merciful, God is kind, God is faithful, but those are all character traits. He is long-suffering. But there are also natural traits, things that are that are um, in God in the fact that he is God. Does that make sense? And so last week we began to look at some of these things, and I said that the, probably the, the most paramount of all these attributes of who God is is his sovereignty, that God is sovereign over all things because God is God. He is over all things, and that should be a no-brainer for us. And... Um, and we begin, as we considered the sovereignty of God, looking at the definition of what sovereignty is. And we saw that sovereignty is having the supreme rule or authority over all things. And we talked about the fact that in our world today, that um, the fact that God is sovereign doesn't always appeal to people. Because they actually want to be sovereign. And they don't want to know that that God is going to be the one who has supreme role and authority over their life, but rather they want to be the ones that have that. And even in the church today, that the, the sovereignty of God, the supremacy of God's role and authority is a, is a topic of much great debate. There are people who, I think, go on either side of the, the coin on this thing to, to an improper extent. And, um, and so we began to discuss then this, the sovereignty of God, and we, we looked at the definition of God's sovereignty. As we saw God's sovereignty, we saw that according to God's word, that, and again, we're going to go to God's word for um, what it says, that God has absolute and infinite role and authority over everything in the universe, because he is what? He's God. That kind of makes sense. And we saw as well that, as we saw in the scriptures, that God is under no rule or, th- or law outside of his own pleasure, outside of his own person, and he may do as he pleases in accordance to his attributes. That, that there, God is not held by anything other than himself. That because you don't want him to do it doesn't mean he can't do it. Or because you want him to do something doesn't mean that he has to do it. But that God does as he pleases, not according to as we please. But in that, we said as well, there is the term of dominion, the dominion of God's sovereignty. And dominion is the area, if you would, um, of rule or exercise that you have over something. And so to have dominion is to rule, exercise, control, or have sovereignty over something or some area. And we saw how in the Word of God, that the Word of God says that God has ultimate dominion, and His dominion is everlasting. But we saw in God's Word as well that... um, that though God is sovereign over everything in the universe and his dominion extends over everything, that by his grace and, and according to his, his sovereignty, he has chosen to create man in his own likeness, giving man then dominion over the stuff that he's created. And so in Genesis chapter 1, we saw that, 
that, um, that God created man in his own image, and in his own likeness he created man to have dominion over everything that is on the earth. And so we saw as well that the term dominion, though it is in the same manner that it is used of God, it is used of, of man. And so man, being made in the image and likeness of God, has the ability to rule, has the ability to have free will and make decisions in certain areas of life. But God reserves the right to do what? To overrule anything, anytime. And so we joked about the, the spam. You know, God's not telling us that we have to have spam every night in, in our houses. But if for some reason God decided that he wanted us to have spam every night in our houses, guess what? You'd, you'd be eating spam every night in your house. You know, whether you like it or not, that's what you'd be eating because God is sovereign and God has the right and the authority to be able to make that, that to happen. And then we moved into the demonstration of God's, God's sovereignty, and we talked about how we're going to be looking at it in four areas which are man-centered, if you would. Okay? Because of the fact that in application, we kind of look at this saying, well, how does God's sovereignty come back and, and, and affect me as a man? And we said that we're going to look at it in the governance of man, the creation of man, in the affairs of man, and then eventually in the salvation of man. And last week, we looked at that first step in the governance of man. And we looked at, first of all, how God is sovereign over the nations in general. And we, we looked at verses that talk about how God is the one who sets them up and sets them down. And then we looked at, specifically, over the nation of Assyria. And we saw Sennacherib and how Sennacherib was, was high and mighty and... Um, and he was attacking Jerusalem, and he was mocking Yahweh. He was mocking God, and, and God came back to Sennacherib and said, Listen, <laughs> you know, you don't get it. I'm the one who set you up so that you could go and perform my judgment and my discipline upon the nations. And I'm the one who weakened those nations and had them roll over so that you could actually be the destroyer. You're nothing more than a hammer in my hand. And so who are you? to think that you are going to wipe out me. And so now you're going to turn back, and you're going to go back by the same way in which you came. And we saw then that what happened within that, the, the few days after that is that, um, that God sent the death angel into the camp of the Assyrians. In, in one night, 185,000 troops were killed. And that, um, Sennacherib turned around and went back home. And when he was in the the temple of his own god, Ramon, his two sons came in and killed him. That's exactly right. God had told Sennacherib, what? Do you, anybody remember? I know what? I know where you live. <laughs> and, and it's something for us to remember. God is what? He's sovereign, you know? And uh, we're going to be looking at the creation of man in just a moment. But, you know, I, I think of the, 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 the statements that are always attributed to moms and dads with their kids, right? And that is, I brought you into the world, and I can what? I can take you right back out. And the fact is that what? God is God is sovereign. And, you know, so many times we, we forget that God is God. And God is sovereign. And, and God had to tell Sennacherib that. And we, we ended there, and I said that there are other passages that, that are in your, on your sermon note sheet where God does the same for Babylonia. God does the same with Persia. And so... God does the same throughout, um, throughout all the nations. And so in the Sunday school this morning, we saw in the prayer of the Levites, how the Levites in their, their prayer during the days of Nehemiah were remembering how God had sovereignly brought Israel out of the land of Egypt. 
how God had brought all the plagues upon the Egyptian people and, and how he had swallowed up the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. God had single-handedly, if you would, destroyed the most powerful nation on the earth, bringing forth his people into another land. And in bringing his people into this other land, he displaced a half a dozen other countries and a half, half a dozen other peoples to give his, his own people that land. God in his sovereignly sovereignty chose to take dominion over what was rightly his and reapportion it. If you bring that into the world today, God still is sovereign over the governance of man. We think the most powerful nation on the earth is the United States because we're Americans. Sad to say, we're not. The most powerful force in the world today is, always has been, and always will be, God. And God will rise up the nations that he chooses to rise up, and he'll set down the nations that he chooses to set down. And God allows us, through our own ignorance, to destroy ourselves at times. And as we went through the book of Revelation last year, and we saw in those the, the seal judgments, quote-unquote, and in the trumpet judgments, how those judgments and that pouring out of, in a sense, of God's wrath really wasn't a pouring out of God's wrath, but it was really more of God just taking his hands off of, of the world saying, you want to be God? Go ahead. You do it. And allowing us to destroy ourselves, allowing us to bring financial earthquake and ruin upon ourselves. And so that's still God's sovereignty because God can do what? God can allow that. And if God doesn't want that to happen, he can, he can supersede that. We want to move today into the second of the, um, the demonstrations of God's sovereignty, and that is in the creation of man. And in the creation of man, we see in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10 and 11, we're going to be turning to some other passages, but for right now, this is in the, the context of when Moses was out in the wilderness before he sent him to go to Egypt to lead the, the children of Israel out of Egypt, if you remember that. Moses goes out and he sees the burning bush and the children of Israel out of Egypt. And uh, he goes out and he sees the burning bush out in the wilderness. And he turns aside to see this miraculous thing. And so as he goes there, God speaks to him from the burning bush and he says what? Remove your, take off your shoes because the place you're standing is, is holy ground, right? And so then God begins to speak to him and God says to him, listen, I've seen the, the affliction of my, my children and, and I've come down to, to deliver them. I've come down to deliver them. And then he goes on to say what? And so I'm going to send you to, to deliver them, right? And so he says to Moses, I'm going to send you. And Moses begins this, this whole process now of, of trying to get out of it, okay? I, you know, oh God, who am I to, to go? You know, Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. And God says, no, no, I'm going to send you. And look, I give you these signs. You know, put your hand in your, your cloak, pull it back out. You know, throw your, throw your rod on the ground, pick up the, the snake by the tail, you know, all the different signs that I'm going to give you. And, and Moses still says, but no, God, no, God, no, God, but God, but God, but God. And finally, and he says to him, but, you know, I'm slow of speech, right? And so Moses says to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So Yahweh said to him, who has made man's mouth? Now listen what it says. This is Yahweh speaking. Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? 
have not I, Yahweh. We don't want to read this part. We want to read, who has allowed, who, who has made man's mouth, and who has allowed man to become mute, or to become deaf, or to have sight, or to allow man to become blind. That's not what this says. It's causal in the language. What that means is that God has taken what for this? Credit. Responsibility. Responsibility. That's exactly right. And he says, who has made man's mouth? Who has made a mute man? And the answer is, God. Who has made a deaf person? God. And who gives man the ability to either see or to be blind? God. Now, this is a hard statement as a, as a mom or a dad. And as you consider, as you wait for the, the moment of the miracle of the birth of your child, there is, I think, in each parent, not only the, the anticipation of seeing their child, there's also the anticipation of seeing whether the child is what? Whole. Whole. Because you can't control it, can you? And it's an amazing thing today that, that they want to give you tests and they want to do sonograms so that you can do what? You can abort that baby if the baby isn't exactly what you wanted it perfect, isn't what you wanted it to be. They give you a, a blood test to find out whether the baby's going to be... Um, Mongoloid, is that the right word? Um, Down syndrome, Down syndrome. So that, again, you can terminate the pregnancy. They don't say kill the baby, but you can terminate the pregnancy so that you don't have to endure the hardships that it would be to have a child like that. You can have these things and find out whether there's going to be deformity in your child so that you can terminate the pregnancy. That is man seeking to, to steal sovereignty, if you would, from God. Do you get it? Because man wants to be what? In control of what kind of babies we're going to have. Years ago, almost 100 years ago, and we saw this, if you were here when we showed the Expelled movie, um, they talk about how even in the United States, they practice eugenics. Eugenics is good genes, good, good genetics, and the, that we want to, to exterminate, if you would, um, those who might not have good babies. And so we want to make sure, and so we want to take that sovereignty issue. But God says, no, I'm sovereign over the creation of man. I made you just the way you are for my pleasure. And in John chapter 9, we read, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. What's the point that Jesus, the creator God, in the flesh was making? 
it was better for this man to be born blind. But not just that, but I made him blind. Who sinned that this guy was blind? In other words, I mean, who, why is this guy blind? Clearly somebody did something wrong, right? And Jesus says what? No, that's not the case. Now, I want to seem like I'm going to backstep for a moment, and I'm not backstepping. But remember, God in his sovereignty has seen fit to allow man also to have what? Dominion. Dominion. And there is then within the fact that we have dominion a cause and effect as well. I can go out and I can cut down a tree. Yes? Because God has given me dominion over those things. But if I cut down that pecan tree, will I get any more pecans from it? No. And so there is an effect from the fact that I went out and I exercised my dominion over that. Now, there is a part then in that that if I go out and I abuse my body, okay, or my wife abuses her body at the point that she becomes pregnant, okay, that that will also then have an effect upon what? Say again? The child, the baby that's in her womb. Now, God has the sovereign right to overrule the effects of what I have done. Does that make sense? God has the sovereign right. So we look at crack babies. And, we, and, and I don't know about you, but I mean, I, I, I feel for these babies that come out. Who, in a sense, from my perspective, because of innocence, you know how we look at babies as being totally innocent, right? They didn't do anything to deserve that. Babies that were born in Japan, after we as Americans placed a bunch of radiation throughout their land. Babies that were born with arms coming out their foreheads and just all kind of atrocities because of the mutations that were going on at that time because of the, the, the atomic bombs. The babies didn't do necessarily anything to cause that to happen. Does that make sense? There was a cause and effect that, was, that happened because of the dominion of man that God has given man. But God, in his sovereignty, has the right to allow it or to overrule it. Do, does that make sense? And so God, you may, this is going to sound awful, but in one side you may have the potential to have a, a perfect baby. But God, in his sovereignty, has seen fit that you should have a special child a child that will have special needs for you to glorify him in the raising of this child with special needs. Or it could be that, that God in his sovereignty overruled an opportunity that you could have had a child with special needs and he either healed that child in your womb or he caused there to be a miscarriage. Marcia had a miscarriage years ago before Gabrielle, and they marked it down as what? Do you remember? Spontaneous abortion. We hated that because of the word. You know, we thought, ah, oh, it wasn't an abortion. Well, in a sense, it was. It was a spontaneous, the body aborted the baby. I like to look at it from my perspective that God saw fit for that baby to be aborted. He had the sovereign right for that child to be aborted. There was a reason for that baby to be aborted. Not that we chose to abort a child, but that God saw fit that that needed to happen. Now, 
I'm a guy, and I understand that those things are easier for me to deal with than for you ladies to deal with because that child becomes a part of who you are. But I know that there are probably ladies in here who have had that happen to them, and maybe even more than once. And that's a place where you have to be able to hand that over to God and say to God, you have the sovereign right to do that. We rejoice with Daniel and Amanda that Amanda is now with child. And we pray for for her to be able to keep this child full term. But we recognize the fact that God is sovereign over even in the giving of this child to them in his pleasure. But I recognize the fact as well that there are times when God has seen fit in his sovereignty to allow or cause however that is, and I can't define it for certain women not to have children. And that's an issue where we need to be able to submit. You may look at yourselves and say to yourselves, I don't like the way this looks, or I don't like the way that looks, or I don't like the way my personality is here, or such. But what you're saying is, God, I don't like how you exercised sovereignty over my birth process. Do you get that? This man who was born blind was blind for many years. Jesus said this man was born blind for the glory of God. Do you believe that you are fearfully and wonderfully made? And that while you were in your mother's womb, you were knitted together in a perfect manner so that in your life you could give God glory as you are. So many times we like to compare ourselves with somebody else, whether it's looks, whether it's intellect, whether it's other abilities, talents. And we like to what? Diminish ourselves. We're either going to puff ourselves up or we, like to, or we have this inferiority complex. And we need to get rid of that. Because God is God. And God has the right to, to have supreme rule over everything there is about me. In the book of Matthew, chapter 8, the, the centurion in Capernaum comes out to Jesus asking for Jesus to heal his, his servant, Yes? And, and we're told that he comes out and he says, Lord, this is verse 6, he says, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said to him, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, dominion. Somebody has dominion over me, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus, we're told later, says what? He's full of wonder because he's not seen such great faith in all of Israel. But what does this, what does this centurion say to Jesus? I understand, Jesus, the concept of dominion. I understand the concept of sovereignty here. I have authority. I exercise dominion over these other soldiers. In my sovereignty, if you would, in my reign over these soldiers, I can say what? Do this. And what will happen? It'll be done. But not only that, I'm also under authority. Somebody has dominion over me. And so my, my commanding officer can say to me, 
jump, and I've got to say, how high? And so, Lord, I understand that you have sovereignty, and I understand that your dominion is exercised over the creation of man, the health of man, the sickness of man. And I know, Lord, that at this very moment, all you have to do is just speak a word in my servant, even from a distance, not even in your presence. You don't have to touch him. You don't even have to see him because you know him. All you have to do is say, be healed. And he's going to be healed. So in the fact that God demonstrates his sovereignty over the creation of man, it's not just in your birth process. It's not just over what you're like when you're born, but it's also over the sicknesses that you undergo through, the ailments, the, the injuries that you may obtain, that God can sovereignly oversee and supersede those ailments. Years ago, I listened to a book written by and read by um, Christopher Reeves. You all remember Christopher Reeves? Superman? Um, and uh, Christopher Reeves was, was riding on a horse one day. He loved the horseback ride. And the horse threw him. And it broke his, broke, broke his back, broke his spine. And he was paralyzed. He was quadriplegic. And he was in, I think it was John Hopkins, um, hospital, university hospital. And, um, and I'm, I'm listening to his testimony, and his, his mouth was filthy. I, I couldn't listen to the second tape. It was just I couldn't deal with his language. Um, but he was reading his own book. And I'll never get over his testimony that in the room with him was another, was a, not, not another woman, but was a woman. There was two, two of them in the room, he and this woman. And this woman had the exact same injury as he did, exactly the same. And he talked about the which vertebrae and stuff like that were broken and how and stuff like that. And she had obtained it almost the exact same way, being thrown by a horse. The only difference between the two of them is that she claimed to have faith in God and that there were people around the world praying for her. This is Christopher Reeves' own testimony. She, she had a full healing. He didn't. She claimed it was the, a miracle of God, but he knows that's not the case. Now, isn't this a, an amazing thing? Think about this. An injury that by human standards that would never go away. That they both would wind up being quadriplegics the rest of their life. One has faith in God, looking to God for the healing, knowing and expressing the fact that God is the creator over man and has the, the sovereign right to oversee and supersede what had happened in her body. God chose to do that. And here is a man who sees it and rejects it. Isn't that sad? It's very sad. 
But as it says in God's word, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And as I heard Jerry Smith say years ago, and I never forgot this, if it's a fool who says in his heart, there is no God, how much greater of a fool is it who knows that there is a God? And then acts like there isn't one. Do you believe that God is God? Do you believe that he is sovereign over everything in the universe, including your very being, how you are created, over your ailments, over your healings? And yes, God may use doctors to, to heal us. He has given man wisdom to, to be able to discern the body and to be able to give us prescriptions and medications. But there are times when what? Prescriptions and medications aren't going to cut it. Years ago when Gabrielle had Guillain-Bray syndrome, it's when I really first met Steve. Steve sent me down to the pediatric neurologist down at MCG. And the pediatric neurologist looked at us and said, if she survives, she'll be in a wheelchair the rest of her life. And I remember crying my eyes out before God, saying, God, I gave you my kids, and Gabrielle's yours. And if this is how you want to glorify yourself, help me just to accept it. And help me just to, to move forward with it. And they told us that by Saturday night, this was a Friday, Friday night we were down there, and they told us by Saturday night she'd be on a respirator. And I remember sitting there on that Saturday while she was in this big crib. She was, um, how old was she then? Not quite two. Yeah. And, um, and she was a whirlwind. And so she didn't need to be in a crib, but she was in there because she had no muscle tone. No, it was a neurological thing. So even though she had muscles, she just, you know, couldn't use them. And she was just crumbled on this thing. And I, I was reading the book of Job. <laughs> it was, I was reading through the Bible, and that was the day that I was supposed to start reading through the book of Job. And so I'm sitting there reading the book of Job. And, and, and Job's words, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And his wife, calling his wife, you foolish woman. You know, shouldn't we, should we receive good from the hand of the Lord and not bad? The fact is that God is what? He's sovereignly over my family, sovereignly over the creation of not only my own body, but the creation of my children. God saw fit through the prayers of saints around the world to have Gabrielle never go on a respirator for it to to have a complete healing and for the doctors to be fully amazed that what had happened and within 48 hours we were going home from the hospital and within six months later for her to be able to have full recovery. I remember hearing a tape and I just heard it recently being replayed of a pastor in Texas who in the middle of his message lost his voice. But then years later, in the middle of a message, recovered his voice. Did you ever, did you ever hear that one? It is an incredible, incredible tape. Because they were taping, like I'm taping the message right now, he was taping his message as he was trying to speak God's word. And as he was speaking God's word, all of a sudden he had a voice. And he started to cry. I'm going to cry just thinking about it. I mean, it's phenomenal. I mean, I cried. I mean, because I, I can just picture the event. And he'd just start weeping. And, and, and the church started singing praise God from the doxology with him 
because it was just an incredible moment. God showing, demonstrating his sovereignty over a man's voice. And as we saw last week, God showing his sovereignty over Nebuchadnezzar by sending Nebuchadnezzar into the the field for seven years before Nebuchadnezzar would finally get a grip on God was really sovereign over his kingdom. What does God have to allow us to go through before we acknowledge the fact that he is sovereign over our bodies, over our children, and over our being? We want to look at God being also sovereignly um, demonstrating a sovereignty over the affairs of man. Now you say, well, I thought we dealt with that in the governance of man. No, that was, that was the big picture. The governance of man is the big picture. That's over the nations. The affairs of man now, we step on our toes even a little bit more because now we talk about me over the things that are happening in my life that God has the right to, to oversee and to bring into my life things that I may not very well appreciate or like. In Judges chapter 14, is a passage that is, is very hard, uh, very hard to comprehend and understand. It's a passage talking about Samson. It says, Now Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and his mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. She's a what? She's a Gentile. She's a foreigner. And what is Samson? He is a, not just a Jew, He's a Nazarite. He is a Nazarite from birth. Remember, the angel of the Lord came to Samson's mother and said that he is going to be set apart from the time of his birth. In fact, from the time that he's in your womb, I don't want you drinking any wine. And so no razor is supposed to touch his head. He's not supposed to be able to drink wine. He's not supposed to touch anything that's dead. He's supposed to be set apart for God. And now this man, this Nazarite, who God is going to be using, goes down to, the, to, these, to these unregenerates, to these Gentiles, and he says to his mom and dad, he says, I, I want this girl, now get her for me as a wife. Verse 3, then his father and his mother said to him, is there no woman among the daughters of their brethren or among all my people that you should go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she pleases me well. Now, clearly there's a problem in the parenting style happening here, right? Okay. Uh, so, something wasn't dealt with from the time that he was little. Okay, for, for, this, for this young man to come up this brazenly to his father. Okay, but we won't go there right now. That's just a little side thing. Okay, get her for me. Verse 4, but his father and his mother did not know that it was of Yahweh, that Yahweh was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion, there's that word dominion again, over the Israelites, over Israel. And so, what's happening? Something that clearly would be fully against what I perceive to be the revealed truth of God's word. Yes? I mean, Samson is one who is what? Set apart unto God. I would think that God would be doing everything in his power to do what? Keep Samson away from them. That's exactly right. However, God understood Samson was a man just like you are a man. Not all of you. Anyway, some of you are men. Some of you are women. Anyways, but for the men that are here. And you, as men, struggle with lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life, just like everybody else does. But we'll go to the lust of the flesh. And so Samson had urges, just like men have urges. And God 
chose in his sovereignty to allow Samson at this moment to give into his sin, his lust of the flesh. But in allowing it, we're told, though, the reason. Because God had a what? He had a plan. He had a purpose. What was it? He had a bone to pick with the Philistines. And he was going to allow the sin, if you would, of Samson, the lust of Samson, to bring about the provocation that he was going to use to exercise his judgment upon the Philistines. His discipline. The Philistines were ripe for discipline, were ripe for judgment. They shouldn't have been in the land in the begin with because God had already told Israel to do what? To kick them out. When they went into the land, Israel was supposed to, to, to push out all the other nations. But they what? They disobeyed God at that point, And they allowed these other nations to dwell. And these other nations grew in their power, in their might, and they began to exercise dominion over Israel. And God said, no, I'm coming to deliver my people once again. And I'm going to use this opportunity. You say, how can God do that? Well, it's a verse that we read this morning, and every one of you can quote, right? Romans 8.28, go ahead and say it with me. For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. All things work together for good. All things work together for good. How many things? I challenge you that you don't always believe that. (laughs) But all things work together for good to what? To those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And in verse 29, we're told what the purpose is. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestine that they should be conformed to the image of his Son. God's purpose for your life, if you are his child, is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And God sovereignly knows, as a loving father, what it's going to take to allow or cause into your life to bring you into that conformance. And so Paul says that his pursuit, that his desire, his greatest desire is to know Christ, not only in the power of his resurrection, but also in the fellowship of his sufferings. We don't want to know Jesus in the fellowship of sufferings. We just want to know the power. We want to know the glory. We want to know the good things. But you know what? Then we'd become like Israel, right? We go into the land and we live in cities that we didn't build, in houses that we didn't fill, and we're eating from vineyards and, and olive trees that we didn't plant, and we're drinking from wells that we didn't dig, and we do what? And we forget God. And God has got to, in his sovereignty, allow things into our life that will bring us back to him. Do you honestly believe that God can work through people who sin against you? Do you believe that God wants to work in your life 
through the sin of other people who have sinned against you. Not just that he's working in their life. It's not just that, that God has allowed them to sin to show them their sin. And, you know, and he knows that you really are spiritual enough to be able to deal with this thing. And so, I mean, you're big enough. You can handle this. They can sin against you and reveal their sin so that God can work in them. Because he doesn't need to work in you anymore. Because you've already got it done for that. You know, you're already Christ-like and you're there. I, it's amazing to me in the symphony of life of which God is the conductor. How God can allow and bring... Now, which, whether it's causal or whether it's he allows in his sovereignty, I, I, don't, I, I don't know. It's a, it's a mind-bewildering thing to me. But in his sovereignty, to allow this event to, to be, or bring it past that it will be, such that the, the, every individual who is involved in that, he's got a purpose for that event in their lives. From whatever facet or angle it is, in your life. Right now, you're all listening to the same message. And there's no doubt in my mind, you're all hearing it from a different angle. You're all probably hearing me say different things. You know? You hear me say the exact same thing, but because of the, the colorings of your, of your life, you're, 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 right now you're relating it to different, th- different data points in your brain. You know what I'm saying? It's different things are coming out, different events in your life are coming out, and, or different teachings that you're, you're putting it to, and, and you're kind of putting it beside something. And so if we really, at, at the end of this thing, ask everybody to, to write down specifically what they got out of this, you're going to have a wide range from, I didn't get anything out of that, to, to I got out of this, and how it applies to these parts of my life, and you don't know what I'm dealing with right now, and God is just, you know, da 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 And some of you may even be quite offended by it, and just wanting to leave and saying, Bob, you just get, be done so I can go home. And so, but the fact is, again, it's a hard passage. Do you believe that all things work together for your good? And so, as Chris, you read this morning in the, 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 the Bible reading, right? So there is neither what? Principality, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor, nor death, nor angels, nor any of these things that can do what? Separate us from the love of Christ. We read that thing, and we think that we are invincible. It doesn't say that we are invincible. It says that we are what? Inseparable and conquerors. Excuse me. Get it? What is a conqueror? One who has faced the obstacle and has what? Overcome. It's not one who has avoided, who has never had the obstacle. That's not a conqueror. The conqueror is one who has come into their life and they've overcome it. And why then will we have overcome it? Jesus, the grace of Jesus Christ, through the grace of God, through the love of God in our life, because he will have sovereignly superseded over that event in your life so that it will bring about the good that he desires to accomplish in your life, whether you fully understand it or not. Because ultimately, it doesn't really matter, like mom and dad to your kids, your kids don't always understand, do they? They don't. They argue, they kick, they fuss, they fume, they, they drag their feet, they stomp their feet, they, they, they throw their books on the table or whatever it is, and you say to them what? 20 years from now, you'll understand. <laughs> That's exactly right. You'll have kids being saying the exact same thing, and you'll get it. You know? And isn't it a scary thing? It is. I mean, you're, we're, all those who are adults, you get it now, right? You start to say things that your mom and dad said, and you go, ooh. This is scary. <laughs> now I what? I get it. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> but you didn't get it back then. 
but you get it now. You know what? Give God the right. Not that you have to give it to him because he already has it. But give him that. That he eternally, infinitely, knows so much better what is best for you than you ever will. Turn with me to, to Romans 9 in that same context of, of, of God's dealing. A passage as well that we, um, we don't like to, to look at, we don't like to deal with. Romans 9, verses 9 to 24. Where we read, For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also has conceived by one man, even our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, remember we talked about that purpose of God, according to election might stand not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, The older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whoever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whoever I will have compassion. For so then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. That comes from Exodus 33, verse 19. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whomever he will have mercy in and upon whom he wills, he will harden. You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? But indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, um, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have the power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath, to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? that he might make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the, the Gentiles. Now, I could have thrown that in the part of creation, right? Because God's talking about creating one vessel for honor and one vessel, but we kind of dealt with that. But God, very clearly, in this point, is also dealing with the concept of mercy as well. He's talking about dealing with you in, in, throughout your life. And that God has the sovereign right to extend his mercy to whomever and whenever he chooses. Believest thou this? Do you believe that God has the right to forgive forgive who he chooses to forgive and to retain to whom he chooses to retain? According to custom, Esau should have received the birthright and the blessing. And even though Jacob stole it through deception and and manipulation, he didn't get it because of manipulation and thievery and deception. It was his, and he would have gotten it because God said, it was his. Because before they were ever born, the only reason it was taken by manipulation and thievery and deception was because of what? Because of his mother's manipulation, because of the lack of faith, trust, faith. That's exactly right. They didn't believe the promise of God. 
But God's word will what? Will stand. And the older will serve the younger. And God determined for not just these two guys, but over the nations that these two guys would, would represent. And do you understand that even today, we face some of the consequences in our, in our world from this decision? Not only this decision, but also the decision that the blessing would come through Isaac and not through Ishmael. Who do the Muslims look to? They look to Abraham, but they look to Abraham through Ishmael. And so we, we see that, that the, the Jews, the Muslims, and the Christians should all be of one faith because we all go back to Father Abraham. The sad thing is that's not true. We do go back to Father Abraham, but we go through different, <laughs> through different sons. That's exactly right. Ishmael was not the chosen son. Esau was not the chosen son. And God was the one who made that decision. God was the one who chose who would receive the blessings and who wouldn't receive the blessings. And so do you believe, O lump of clay, that God has the right to do with you whatever he chooses to do? And I'm not talking about creation. I'm not talking about your, your, your illnesses. I'm talking about your life by itself. That God has the right to send you wherever he chooses to send you. God has the right to allow you to have whatever job he wants you to have. God has the right to have you drive whatever he wants you to drive. Now, again, understand, keep it all in context. I also have stated last week and reiterated this week that I believe that God has also given man what? Dominion. And in that dominion, that God has given you the privilege to make decisions and to, and to, to have sway over where you go. But that God exercises the what? The right and the authority to override any decision that you ever make. And so you decide you're going to be a computer programmer. I'm picking on myself, right? And God says what? No. In fact, I thought I was going to be a, a metallurgist. Anybody know what a metallurgist is? You do? Good. What's a metallurgist, Roddy? Yes, the studies of metals. Studies of metals and works with metals. Because I grew up in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, when I grew up, Pittsburgh was a, a steel town. And so, to me, a metallurgist would mean that you'd have great opportunities for job and, and movement around there. Well, I gave up my spot in the school of science because I thought I was going to go to a service academy. And then when it didn't pan out to go to the service academy, I went back to the school and they said, sorry, we already gave up your slot. Or not school, school of engineering. And so, I, so they said, but we'll give you a, a slot in the school of science. You just have to make... I didn't realize this, but they also had said you had to make a certain grade point average. So I took the slot in School of Science thinking I'll just transfer over to School of Engineering next year. But then all of a sudden I found out I needed to have that grade point average, and guess what? I didn't get it. So then I became a computer science major, a math major. And so, see, and I love math. God knew in his sovereignty that I needed to be that. But, but then I get out through the military, and what does God say? It's time to be a preacher. That's exactly right. You're not going to use that computer stuff at all. You're not going to be a mathematician. You know, I'm going to have you do something totally different. But now, I work on the church website. You know? And, I mean, nobody else does that. And so, God's still using some of those things that he's allowed me to do in the past, in the path that he has placed me on, 
to be able to use in my life now. I don't fully understand it, but he does. Do you get it? And so sometimes we don't fully understand how he is, he's sovereignly overseeing my path and the affairs of my life, but he is in charge. Let's look at the salvation of man. Now, I know you're expecting, oh, here we go. But here's the point in all this. That God is the one who has sovereignly established the plan of salvation. God is the one who has sovereignly established how it is that you can have fellowship with him. You cannot, in your own dominion, choose a certain path. God has given man dominion, hasn't he? We've talked about that. And has man exercised dominion in the realm of religion, quote-unquote? He has. There are a lot of different paths out there to God, isn't there? I mean, Buddhism, Confucianism, Muslim, Mormonism. No, no, they're paths. Man, man has established paths. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. There are paths. Jesus said they're paths. There's, wide is the gate that leads to what? Destruction. And many there are that go in there at, but narrow is the path that leads to life, and few there be that find it. So there are paths. But we've, what? Been our own pathfinders. You know, we go out with our own machetes, if you would, in the, the, the concepts of religion or whatever, and, and we're going to cut our own way so that our religion appeases who? Us. And it pleases and appeases our own self. And so we, we do these things. But do you know what? Ultimately, God doesn't have to accept those paths, does he? He doesn't have to look down to the dominion of man and say, well, oh, well, I guess, you know, I gave man dominion, and man has decided that this is the way they want to come to me. They want to have their cult over here or their cult over there. And so, therefore, since I gave them dominion, I guess I have to accept that. That's not the case. God is still what? Sovereign. And so we see in Romans chapter, or in John chapter 1, start there, 11 to 13, that he came unto his own, his own, this is Jesus, and his own did not receive him, but as many as, what, received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who, what, believe in his name, who, are not, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, the will of God, because it was God's will to establish that man would have to, by faith, Believe in the plan that God put forth in his grace. And that no longer would you have to go by works, but now you would have to believe that Jesus Christ died for you. So, Ephesians chapter 1, let's turn there and let's, let's look at what God has said in this plan of salvation, right? And we begin at verse 3. Where we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption by, as sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation, the stewardship, 
of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel what? Of his own will. God has the sovereign right to extend the gift of salvation to whomever he chooses to extend it to. Now, before I go on, that's very provocative, okay? But I'm going to stop there for just a moment, and I'm going to ask you the question. Are you willing, before I even move forward, are you willing to give God that right? That even if double predestination is true, that if God predestines some to heaven and some to hell, does God have the right to do that? Your answer has to be yes. If it's not, there's a problem between you and God. Now, I'm not saying that God does that. You get me? This is one of those dramatic pause moments. But even though I don't necessarily believe that that's the case, and we're going to go on, I'm very okay with the fact that I make it to heaven one day and find out that that's the case. Not that I believe that's what is taught, but maybe I misunderstand it. And if I get to heaven and God says to me that this is, that is the case, you know what? I won't have a burr with it at all. Because God is God. And God has the right to do with whatever of his creation that he chooses to do. Now, what I believe in that, though, is that very clearly, in Peter writes, that God elects according to what? Foreknowledge. And what we just read in Romans chapter 8, from 8, 28 and 29, that for whom he foreknew, he also what? Predestined. And the purpose of the predestination is to do what? Is to be conformed to the image of his Son. And that God, before he ever laid the foundations of the earth, did predestine believers to be conformed to the image of his Son. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we're told that God desires what? All men to be saved. And so I believe that God declares it, and that it's God's will, it's God's desire for all men to come to the knowledge of truth. And for all men to be saved. I don't think that that's a cloak. I don't think that God didn't really mean what he said. That God, I don't, I don't believe in a wishy-washy God here, that God is impotent. That, you know, the people say, well, that's just his, his desire. That's not really his will. That, that doesn't, that, that just, whew, that, that just, that, that doesn't compute to me. But the, it does compute that God has given man what? Dominion. Because he said that. And that God has given man the ability to make decisions. But God can what? Override it. Now, here's where we go with this. Okay? Can God override a man's ignorance who is turning away from God to make him turn to God? And the answer is 100% yes. But then conversely, if God chose to. Now, understand, keep that in context, because God desires what? All men to be saved, okay? But eradicate that for just a moment, okay? 
if God said there was one person turning toward him and he didn't want him to turn toward him, does he have the right to harden his heart? And the answer is yes. Because we just read a little bit ago that he hardened whose heart? Pharaoh's heart. We read in God's word that Pharaoh hardened his own heart, and we also read in God's word that God hardened his garden. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Both. <laughs> how it happened, how it transpired, how the infinite and the finite got together, I don't know. But God said to Moses, listen, Pharaoh is not going to listen to your word so that I can, I can demonstrate my power throughout Egypt. And so we're told that God hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he could demonstrate his power. So God, before the foundations of the world were laid, predestined man according to his own pleasure, according to his own will. And the predestination was for the election so that we could come to the image of Christ. Do you believe that? Ephesians chapter 2, 8 to 10, you all know this verse, right? By grace are you what? Saved through faith. And that's not of yourself, it's the what? The gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, that we should what? Perform good works, which he has before ordained, that we should walk in them. Ah, he before ordained that we should do what? Do the good works. See, that goes consistent with Romans chapter 8. And that salvation is through the expression of our faith, because it is a gift from who? From God by grace. And in Romans chapter 5, turn there with me, in verses 12 to 18, we see this even more. There is a big debate coming out of Ephesians chapter 2 that what's the gift of God? Your faith? Or is it the concept of salvation? And I believe it is that salvation is by grace through faith. That that is the gift of God. And I think that we see that here as well in Romans chapter 5. 12 to 18, it says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of and Jesus Christ man. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace in the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Now, do you believe, then, according to this passage, that the free gift has been offered to all men? Yes, that's what he says. Just as death passed on to all men, so the free gift is given to all men. And so we're told by John in 1 John chapter 2, not only is the propitiation for our sins, not only is Christ the propitiation for our sins, but he's also the propitiation for the sins of the whole world. The whole world's sins, the sins of the whole world are already what? Paid for. They just have to do what? Receive it. That's exactly right. So God in his sovereignty established the way of salvation. Man in his dominion 
has to do what? Submit to God's sovereignty. That's exactly right. And not choose his own path. But rather the path which God has already established. Chapter 33 to 39, that's the passage which says that nothing can separate us from the love of God, which we talked about a little bit ago. Because once we, we go in that path, God has promised that once you receive that gift, that you become a part of the covenant which he's established, the new covenant, that nothing can take you out of his hand. That is God's sovereignty overseeing your life at that moment. Isn't that awesome? That at that moment you say to God, God, I'm taking my dominion and I'm giving it back to you in a sense. I'm submitting it to you. I understand that I can't handle this in and of myself. And so, God, I'm giving control back to you. Isn't that what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5? If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill the the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so you cannot do the things that you would. That if, if I walk in the spirit, and the idea, the idea there is that I'm doing what? I'm giving control to the Holy Spirit. I'm listening to his sovereign will and following his plan that I'm going to do what? I'm going to walk in the fruit of the spirit. The love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the kindness, the goodness, the faithfulness, the gentleness, the self-control. But if I don't, if I go and I seek to follow after my own flesh, after my own dominion, what's going to start happening? I'm going to start exuding the, the works of the flesh. The adultery, the fornication, the uncleanness, the lewdness, the idolatry, the sorcery, the hatred, the, the, um, the outbursts of wrath, the selfish ambitions, the contentions, the heresies, the, the dissensions, the the, the, the um, drunkenness, the revelries, and such the like that he talks about in Galatians chapter 5. So in all these things, where are you at with the sovereignty of God? What is your view of God's sovereignty? Is it consistent with the testimony that God has given to us in his word? The sovereignty of God should be a great provocation for us. We talked about this last week. Does focusing on God's sovereignty give you a greater desire to glorify Him? It should. It should cause us to worship Him because He cares for us in that realm. Though He has given us the privilege to make decisions, He's still overseeing us. And if you go to Him seeking His wisdom, what does the book of James tell us? He'll give it to all men what? Liberally. Liberally. If you just ask... He will give to you liberally. If I truly believe that God is sovereign, it will be reflected in my life. How does your life reflect that God reigns sovereignly over the affairs of men? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are sovereign. I thank you that you have created us as you have seen fit. Lord, you have caused some of us to be left-handed and some of us to be right-handed. You have caused some of us to to speak in different manners than others. You have given some of us greater ability to, to hear than others. You have caused some of us to be what we understand to be left-brained and right-brained. Some of us to be artistic in our way of thinking and some of us to be more um, logical, quote-unquote, in our way of thinking. And you have done all those things for your glory. You have 
set up kings and you have taken them back down. You have caused nations to come into existence and then have caused them to, to go back out of existence. Lord, I acknowledge the fact that the United States is only a country by your sovereign will. And that clearly according to your testimony in the book of Revelation, that at the time of the end, we will be wherever you choose for us to be in that plan. Lord, I pray that as an individual, as a head of my home, I would honestly be looking to you for your sovereign will and direction in guiding my, my home. I know you have it anyway, and that you can supersede any decision I make. But Lord, how much better it is if I seek your face and seek to, to live it and operate it in submission to your sovereign will in the first place. And so you've told us to, to not be conformed to the world, but to be transformed in a renewing of our minds that we may be able to prove what is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. Lord, I pray that you would cause each of us to be transformed in the renewing of our minds. In those areas, Lord, where we have a false impression of you, that you would cause us to repent, cause us to change the way we think. That we would be willing to accept you for as you are. We are but the clay, and you are the potter. And Lord, I know it's your desire for all men to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth. And that is the purpose of why you sent Jesus Christ into the world. Because of your love for the world. And that Christ did not come into the world to judge the world, but that all men through him might be saved. Lord, I pray that you will draw more and more, more and more. And that you would cause us to be faithful as ambassadors, as you've called us to be. Lord, in, in our dominion that you've given to us, cause us to be faithful, to, to be submissive to your sovereign will and being ambassadors, declaring your truth so that these people can come to know you. I know you can do it apart from us, sovereignly. But clearly you've chosen your, in your word to, to reveal that you choose to use us. So Lord, I pray that if it's our desire to see more, more, more men saved, it, that we would have the boldness to do that. God, I ask you in your sovereignty to make us do it, to give us the boldness, to give us the impetus. Don't allow us to be complacent, Lord, but help us to love you. Help us to desire to serve you for your glory and for the advancement of your kingdom. We ask this not according to our own will, but according to yours expressed in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.